Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com, WeatherTech, Hum by Verizon, RockAuto.com, State Farm, and AutoTempest.com. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. Thank you, Alec Webb, and welcome everyone to Motor Week Podcast number 177. I'm John Davis, and joining me today at Motor Week World Headquarters is writer-producer Brian Robinson. Hello there, John. Road test producer Ben Davis. Here I am. Assistant road test producer Greg Carlos. Hey, hey. And Garrick Zykin, our writer-researcher. Thank you for having me again. I got demoted. We've got a lightning round, viewer questions. We're struggling here to see if we have something to complain about in our rant and raves. But first, let's run down some of the vehicles that we've had on our lot lately. Uh, let's start with the 2018 Mercedes-Benz AMG GTR. My goodness, 4-liter twin-turbo V8, 577 horsepower, 0 to 63.6 seconds. What else is there to say? Brian? Uh, it was super fast on track. It, it's... Uh it's like the uh, whole front mid-engine thing where you're almost sitting close to the rear wheels, and there's a huge amount of hood in front of you. So uh, it takes a little bit of time to get used to, you know, having the front wheels that far away from you. But after a couple of laps, man, that thing, uh, it's super flat, lots of grip, sounded great. It was a fun car. So what does the R really get you over the standard GT, if there is such an animal? Uh, yeah, just a few more horsepower, um, all-new suspension. And is it more track so. tuned? I mean, that we had it at Roebling, so. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And adjustable traction control. Did yeah, you? It has that yellow uh, knob up on the dash where you can pretty much. There's a few other cars that do the same thing. This actually has a knob, which I think is pretty cool. Uh, you can dial in just enough traction control for your skill level. How do you differentiate that car from? You know, there's a lot of cars that cost one fifty to two hundred thousand supercars, entry level supercars, whatever you want to call it. What makes that car special besides the AMG lineage? You know, if you had to describe it or, or put it, compare it to other things in that price class, what, what would you say? I think styling, honestly, is one of the big points about it. I mean, it has that classic, even though it's not an SL anymore, the um, long, that nose, long hood, short hood, which I think appeals to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of different for a, a car that's so performance heavy. Where you seem like they're, they're getting shorter and wider and maybe a little bit more compact. This one keeps that super long hood. So I think that it has that going for it. It's definitely unique in that aspect. That's a tricky question, though. It's, it's a spectacular-looking automobile, but it, it also is heavy. I mean, mm. you felt like you were driving a lot of German steel. So <clears throat> in that, with so many of the supercars basically pushing how light they are because of carbon fiber and magnesium and so forth and so on, it almost felt like a throwback, which I think makes maybe it's styling that befits it. And yet, when you went fast in it, you went very, very fast. So it's a, it's, it's, I think it kind of stands apart from a lot of the other so-called rivals, at least on that level of money. That V8 sounds uh, fantastic, too. Yeah. And it had a, I don't know if it's like a full titanium exhaust system or whatever, too. But hey, you could hear that thing going the whole way around the track. It was beastly. That was the beastly is a very, very good word. Was very very good word. Little, maybe a little old-worldly. Yeah. <laughs> it had some bite to it, too. I remember not ever feeling quite settled in it. it mm. 
Um, I got into it closer to the end of our track time, so the tires were a little bit worn. So I always felt like it was kind of pushing me through corners and stuff. Um, so I was a little bit afraid to really get into it and test its its power. Um, so I would say that it's also maybe on the raw side of things well, compared to some other cars. Yeah, yeah. yeah. definitely has that fear like, factor. That's good. At the same time, my tires were warm when I got into it too, but it was, while intimidating, more confident. I was more confident in it quicker than I thought I would be, but by no means was I 9.9 or 9 tenths going for it, which I hear from a lot of people that it's very rewarding when you do that. Mercedes-Benz AMG GTR. Uh, now let's switch to two horses of a very different color, although they are still German. Uh, Buick Regal Sportback and Tour X, uh, Opal-based vehicles. Let me set this up. The Regal has long been a name that we associate with sedans and coupes for Buick, and now they have uh, gone a different route since they're pretty much converting themselves into an an SUV-style brand, it makes some sense that they've taken the Regal and brought in a five-door hatchback model. That's the Sportback. But then they also did one one further and kind of going after maybe a piece of the Subaru business with a wagon called the Tour X with all-wheel drive standard. Uh, I think these vehicles got pretty mixed results here at work. I, I know I like them because of their looks, although they're big. Uh, let's talk about them. Granted, it's probably not a huge market, but do you think it's a smart idea for Buick to try something different or what? Well, as far as the Sportback, it seems to be where we're going. More Everything hatchback instead of sedan. Not everything, but a lot more hatchback. And most of them, like the Stinger and some others, they're almost making them look more like sedans. Like A7s. Giving them a hatchback. So I'm not sure. I get all that, but. Um, and that's wagon. what they did with this one, too. Yeah. I mean, it really doesn't look like a hatchback. Wagon's going to be a tough sell, but it's, it seems that they're doing kind of what GM's doing and what they were doing with Saturn before they got rid of that, where they were just rebadging Opals. So I'm not sure how well it's going to work out. They Their sales last year were down just a tad, but they're now basically, if you look at their ads, they're pretty much nonstop tout the, uh, their three SUVs, although they are doing one thing that, stands out for them, although it's not unusual around the car world, is there's no, on the, on the latest models, there's no longer Buick written out on the sheet metal anywhere. Hmm. And I thought it was kind of interesting, and there was a couple of stories that happened this week about it. But start looking around, and you'll find most vehicles don't have the name spelled out anymore. It might be part of the, of the emblem, right. but that's about it. So what they're doing there is probably not unusual. I mm. liked both of them. I thought they, for a two-liter engine, I thought they had good response. Uh, they were comfortable. Actually, the seats were sportier than I would have expected in something called a Buick. I like the Tour X because we're a wagon family with an Outback, but it's big. I mean, it's like – it's. It, I don't think it would fit in my garage. It's good looking too. It I mean, was. it has really nice lines. It's just going to be – it's – we've just alluded to it. It's a, yeah, it's a tough sell. And as, as good as it looks, people still see wagon. And when they hear wagon – they think, well, I'd rather have an SUV or that's dorky. At least in America, that's well, or that's they already own a Subaru. Is. That's yeah. why they call it a Tour X. Yeah, which everyone knows X and means a crossover. Yeah, okay. I will drive is uh, <laughs> standard. So they tried to make it a pseudo Outbackish I mean, yeah. SUV. Mm-hmm. That, so you went on the event, right, for that one? Just or was for it the just sport. A sport? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. 
I mean, they're obviously trying to get younger buyers, right? I mean, are they going for urban because the the big thing now is with the small SUVs is they the specific person they have in mind the demographic is a young urban couple or single who likes to get out of town on the weekend so they need all-wheel drive they need a little bit of space so it seems like this kind of falls in that category of of uh, that demographic it could be just somebody I mean there's always been a small but reasonable market for Mercedes uh, Wagons, occasionally a BMW wagon, Audi wagon. So, yeah. you know, it's not big. But this uh, is a Buick wagon. It's a Buick wagon. wagon. <laughs> well, which, but the, here's a brand that used to be known for its wagons. But you then those Al- people are dead. You mentioned Outback. <laughs> I mean, we always talk about yeah. how nobody buys wagons, but I mean, they sell a they ton sell of a lot of Outbacks. So, they just call it something other than a wagon. Yeah, for sure. Good luck, Buick. Jaguar E Pace, Garrick. Smaller F-Pace? What is it? Yes. Um, it is smaller F-Pace. It is about 13 inches shorter. So it's their compact. It is. It is their compact. Um, and it's actually 11 inches shorter than the upcoming I-Pace. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of fun to drive. We were in Corsica to drive it. So, Too bad. I know. It was, <laughs> it was a tough assignment. But, but the road had a lot of twists and turns, and we were going up and down mountains. And it has a 2-liter inline-four turbocharged Ingenium gas engine, 296 horses. Um, it handled itself really well. It really did. I'm always interested when we go on these events and we're going up mountains that the car companies must be pretty confident about the vehicle. And in this case, you know, it certainly lived up to the confidence that they have. It's a ZF nine-speed automatic transmission, which was quick and smooth. It always seemed to know what to do and, and, and when to do it. Um, I enjoy driving it. It has a normal mode and what they call dynamic mode, which other car companies call sport mode. Uh, normal mode, it's, I thought it was sporty and, and comfortable. I did try the dynamic mode, and it does everything that we know that cars do when they're in sport mode. Um, Either way, I think for for a small crossover SUV, it's going to be a little more sportier than probably a lot of people would expect. What does it share its chassis with? The uh, Land Rover Rover Evoke and the... Range Rover Evoke. I'm sorry, Range Rover Evoke and Land Rover Discovery Sport. So where the F-Pace... I guess the point I was getting at is even though the F-Pace also shares its chassis... Mm -hmm. When you look at the E-Pace, was there any indication to you that this was a family, that this had sprung from another vehicle? Because in the other, the F-Pace actually came first mm-hmm. uh, before uh, LR got uh, a comparable vehicle. Right. This the other way around. But is there anything there that said, "Hey, this is uh, a knockoff" or anything? No, else? no. no. I, I'd say it stands alone. Um, it's about an inch longer than the Evoque. Um, and uh, looks like you can see out of it better. Sure, sure, exactly. And a little, about seven inches shorter than the Discovery, so the proportions are, are, are different. Mm. Um, part of our drive was we did go on a, a dirt road with pretty deep ruts, um, so it, it can do that. It, it's still stiffer than than your um, Land Rovers, but it has huh. the articulation to kind of handle handle itself in that situation. Mm. So I would say that would be the only connection. Um, to Land Rover. Well, we've already seen the new Evoque, right? Right. So technically, this did come out before that because I don't think that's. Hell yeah. I'm sure this is on the new Evoque chassis. Not I'm the sure you're right. Old one. So, yeah. Technically, this one is coming before. 
The uh, looking at it, it's uh, it's certainly an attractive vehicle. It mm-hmm. looks like they, you know, they obviously had to squish it a little bit to, to give the proportions they need for practicality. But sure. uh, very very nice vehicle. Anybody got anything else want to add? Thirty-eight thousand dollar starting price is actually kind of attractive for a Jaguar. Mm-hmm. Jaguar. 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 Yeah. Is it? Uh, <laughs> are they done with diesels? Are they? Um, I'm not sure. I'm not the, up on that. This one will actually. There's a diesel version, but we will not get it. Right. We have to go to Europe for that. The F Pace when that came here, it, I'm not sure if it still does, but it had that was the base engine. I'm pretty sure it was a diesel. Except it was delayed. Yeah. Uh, and um, I don't know if they still are importing them or not. I know the ones they did import, some people had some problems with them. So uh, They still had some over at the dealership not too long ago. I was mm-hmm. over there. So. Yeah. And there you go. It, uh, you know, with the with the plight of diesels in this country, it's still, I think there's still some life left, in, certainly in trucks and maybe a few in SUVs. Although, uh, when things like the E-Pace or the I-Pace come out, all electric, maybe not. And we'll get on to the I-Pace in a little bit. Okay, which happens right now. Uh, our lightning <laughs> nice round. It's been a little bit. We've got, everybody's going to get a little bit of time around the table, about 30 seconds, it says, for talk about a trending topic. How come we dropped that from 60 seconds to 30 seconds? Because I ramble too much. All you right, Jaguar has announced. <laughs> When you hear that, Vel, the next time, we'll shut up. Jaguar has announced specs for their small crossover all-electric I-Pace. With dual motor, all-wheel drive, 0 to 64.5 seconds, 240-mile range to start, base price 69500 What's the impact going to be on the luxury market? Is this a legitimate Tesla competitor? And by the way, the Tesla Model X, which is larger, starts at $79,500. Um, Significant because it's uh, all electric and it uh, it came uh, it's before the Germans get theirs out. Both uh, all BMW, Mercedes, and Audi are all working on them too. That's the impact it'll have. It'll open the floodgates. Yeah. Um, what do you think about? You know, we're we're not always we're sort of skeptics about the adoption of widespread adoption of all electric vehicles. Mm-hmm. Timing for the Jag, good, bad. Is it going to make any difference? Is it going to give Tesla any problems? What do you think? Let everybody just jump in first. We're going to go one at a time, according to Joe. Go ahead, Robinson. All right. Well, I will say that, first of all, anytime anyone makes an electric car, we have to say, is it a Tesla competitor? You know, why can't they just, everyone just make cars? Why does everyone have to compare everything to Tesla? Everyone has to compare something to everything. um, But anyway, I don't think it's going to be a competition to Tesla because the Tesla, as you mentioned, is much bigger. This one's much smaller. as far as impact in the luxury market, I'd say it would be minimal. Um, people aren't really lining up to buy uh, luxury uh, electric vehicles at the moment, other than Tesla. So uh, there we go. Any other thoughts? Hmm. That's yeah. interesting. I was going to say that I, my thoughts would be that it would open up the floodgates on um, other competition rolling out electric I think uh, actually you're right vehicles. about that. But I don't know. Maybe second-guess myself. But I, I, I still think <laughs> they're going to be out there whether or not anybody buys them. I think you'll have a well, we have, to choose we from. have one coming from – we have a, um, a SUV from Porsche. There's one from Mercedes. Uh, I mean, everybody's yeah. got them coming. So Volkswagen. I, I'm rooting for it. I think that there needs to be – and there will be. It's just now Jaguars kind of just hit it at the right time that there's going to be uh, competition in that segment. 
because the Tesla is really all you have. And if you really don't look a lot into it, you think that's like the upper echelon of cars. But it certainly has its drawbacks. I mean, we drove it. The build quality is not great. It's, I mean, the, the honestly, the Falcon wing doors are cool in theory, but they don't always work that well. So mm-hmm. I think now we got to get into the time of where you get – um, electric SUV and it's every bit as good as an internal combustion SUV, build yeah. quality and all. I think Gary? the more people who would drive electric vehicles, whatever it is, the more they'd find out that they like it. So once you get past the, the range anxiety and the infrastructure, um, just the driving an electric vehicle, um, I, I think it's a different experience than quite what a lot of people think it is. You know, you have to give Tesla credit for making electric vehicles aspirational, mm. and it frankly caught all the other luxury brands flat-footed, and so now they're racing to catch up. They want to know that they've got something to offer their customers that's comparable. I think it's highly significant that Jaguar basically got there first, mm. uh, because, and they made a, a, a statement at Geneva which basically said that was their aim with this vehicle. And so we wished him luck. It was quite the star at the Geneva Motor Show, it, uh, yeah. it, it, even though everybody knew it was coming. Back to people taking Tesla seriously. Yeah. Didn't they actually outsell Mercedes and BMW in Europe with their S-Class? I think the, um, might have. I think the Model S actually outsold the uh, S-Class in Europe. I t- you know, last summer I saw Model S's on the road, and, you know, the European roads tend to be smaller, a little narrower than ours. And it's a big vehicle. Yeah, yeah, it is. Okay, let's get on to our viewer question. We have Mike who sent in an email. And he says, Mike says, I have a 2017, 2017, John, read it (laughs) properly, Kia Nero Limited. And, uh, of course, we've been doing a long-term test on the Kia Nero Touring. He said he found that his MPG had fallen from the 40s to the mid-30s during the winter. He said, my driving habits have not changed. My tire pressure is correct. Did we have the same issue? What could it be? Any information we have? Well, Mike, I did look ours up. And uh, during our last session with uh, the Kia Nero, which was in the wintertime, and we noted it in our long-term test, our mileage did drop into the high 30s. It went from... um, 48.1 48.1 miles per gallon average in the fall to around 38.7 in the early winter. And definitely with electric vehicles, you tend to have a situation where the batteries don't act quite as efficiently, and there's probably other things that work there as well. Brian, you want yeah, to I think jump no, in? I mean, I drove it just the other day, and uh, it's, you noticeably drive with the gas engine more on because you got heat cranked and everything like that. There's hardly... Very little time you spend on all EV, so I'm sure that's part of it. He doesn't say where he lives. I mean, if he's living in Florida and this is happening, then He's got a problem. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, if he's in cold weather, I mean, I think that's that's the bulk of it. I think it. people underestimate when you have that heat cranking and, you're, mm-hmm. and you have heated seats on. I mean, that does eat up your uh, your battery power. Yeah, you basically revert to engine running mm-hmm. you know, more and more time. I will just say that it's been a really pleasant time having the Kia Nero, and it's, I really didn't think I was going to like you know, just using it as a, a runabout all the time. But, boy, what a pleasant little vehicle. So, uh, But I think, Mike, that answers your question. It's probably the weather, and uh, when things get warm up a bit, uh, maybe you'll see your mileage hopefully return back into the 40s. Rants and raves, anyone? Anything sticking in someone's... Uh, these days about driving other people's habits your own driving 
Daylight savings time, man. It's killing oh, me right man. now because I drive in um, going east on 70. So now when we finally got to the point where I was driving to work when the sun was up at a decent angle, now it's right back right in my back face. Right back in your face so, again. <laughs> so thanks a lot, daylight savings yeah, time. I've heard that. Is that it? That was, that, was, that, was, that was easy. That was mild. You need to, maybe we ought to get you some polarized sunglasses. We'll just leave a couple minutes earlier. All right, <laughs> All right guys. I mean, let me just I'm, land I'm, here. I'm, I'm happy it's daylight savings. I'm really yeah, happy, so I'm sorry you can't see right, so right, right, right. it. It is nice to out. get home <laughs> yeah. and the and sun is still out for an hour or so. It really is. And it's only going to get better, so. Thank you, Benjamin Franklin, for inventing that. And that brings to a close, appropriately enough, our podcast number 177. I'd like to thank all of our panelists today, also our audio engineer Jim Bigwood, our podcast creator Bob Mixter, uh, basically Brian Robinson, Ben Davis, Greg Carlos, Garrick Zykin. It was a pleasure having you with us today. And Joe Ligo is our back there uh, manning uh, our video for our video podcast. Camera, thank you, Joe. Joe. We hope you'll catch Motor Week on public television stations and on Velocity around the country every week. Our website, motorweek.org, now has a new way of finding out where the show is uh, seen in your area. Just pull it down from the menu up top, and we hope we'll know that you're going to be on the other side of that camera watching us real soon. For everybody at Motor Week, thanks for watching. I'm John Davis. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to the podcast of Motor Week. Television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com, WeatherTech, Hum by Verizon, RockAuto.com, State Farm, and AutoTempest.com. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at MotorWeek.org. And watch MotorWeek, television's longest-running automotive magazine series, each week on your local PBS station.